Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd, and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Well, welcome to another edition of GodPod. We are now into our second century. And uh, it kind of feels rather old to be into the three figures and all of that from now on. But like Graham Gooch used to say, when you get into your stride with an innings, you need to go for it and make your century a big one. Make a big hundred. A big hundred. For those of you who don't know what that reference is, it's a reference <laughs> to cricket, which is a wonderful game we play here in England. And, um, but Americans don't really understand it. And uh, if you are an American listening to this, I recommend you get into cricket. It's one of the greatest things in life, isn't it? It is. And the, there's a wonderful thing called Test Match Special where they talk about the cricket <laughs> and eat cake, which is very like the God Pod. It is very really. like God Pod, actually. In yes. fact, it could be our inspiration. It could. Test Match Special. This is the theological version of Test Match Special. It is. It's Although I notice we only have biscuits. <laughs> no, we don't have cake very much. Anyway. anyway, in this God Pod, as you can probably tell already from the voices, we have uh, Mike. Hi. Mike sitting behind his mic. I am sitting behind my mic, yes, two mics together. Mike's mic. And uh, myself, uh, Graham Tomlin. But we are missing the dulcet tones of Jane Williams, I'm yes. afraid. Because at this very moment, she is on study leave, so she's um, swanning around doing something, uh, reading a book Studying, I would imagine. One hopes she's studying. Yes. Believing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but as you can hear from that little voice in the corner, it is uh, we have another guest with us, who is uh, Stephen Backhouse. Hello. Uh, staying so, quiet during the cricket talk. Exactly. Because as you can see, he's not English. Well, as you can hear anyway. You can't see that he's not English, but he isn't English. What are you? Canadian. Canadian. Although, next year I'll have lived in England for longer than I lived in Canada. Have you taken the the Mm. test to become English? Do you know, I didn't have to. I was was born with a British passport and a Canadian passport. Okay. I snuck in that way. So there you are. You passed the test. So you don't know, need to know how many counties there are? I don't are know. I would fail at one of those tests in an instant. As would every English exactly. person. I think, in fact, it's the real test. is If you pass, then you, you fail. Yeah. <laughs> you study for ages, don't you, to get it. Anyway, we're wittering on about these things. But anyway, Stephen is uh, um, uh, one of our staff members here at St. Melitus College, teaches uh, political theology, social and political theology, and has been a guest on GodPod before. So A long um, time ago, yeah. It's great to have you back with us, Stephen. So um, today... I wanted to start with an um, email that came in from one of our listeners who makes a very fascinating observation. They say, um, whilst Mike and Jane seem to register a volume of eight or ten, poor Graham only seems to register four to six. <laughs> On the Richter scale. <laughs> I do. In other yeah, words, say eight to ten of what? <laughs> he is much quieter and I miss some of his input. I don't know whether that's miss in the sense of can't hear it or, or really miss it in the sense that it's so wonderful. that uh, I, I'd, I'd Unfortunately, really we don't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very sorry for those of you who can't hear me. Sorry, I, I haven't deafened you with that bit. But I will try to speak up and make sure that you can hear me as well as everybody else. Turn it up to 11. Anyway, thank it? you for that um, uh, uh, observation. But uh, today we are going to carry on with a little series that we had going some while ago um, on heresies. And uh, we have looked at quite a number of heresies in God pods over the last um, year or so. But uh, today we are going to look at another heresy, which is called Marcionism. Isn't it fun to spend time looking at heresies? It's a lot of fun, actually. (laughs) 
Exactly. And Marcia, and I think it's been a really fascinating look at these different things. If you want to look at some of the other ones we've done, look at past God pods. But today, we are looking at Marcionism. So, um, um, who wants to have a go at defining what Marcionism is? Well, Marcion is named after Marcion, as a lot of these heresies were. Not all, but Arianism was named after Arius. Uh, Sabellianism was named after Sibelius. Um, Marcionism is named after Marcion, who is funnily a, enough, <laughs> funnily enough, who was a second-century uh, theologian. Uh, and what he's particularly known Marcion for, of Sinope, he was called. Yes, whatever Sinope well, was. Well, I was going to ask you, but I thought I'd better not. <laughs> um, his what he's particularly known for is uh, he didn't like the Old Testament. He thought it was an uh, inadequate and misleading revelation. Um, and so much did he dislike it. He didn't just cut out the Old Testament from his Bible. He also cut out all the references to the Old Testament mm. and quotations of the Old Testament in oh. the New Testament, which doesn't leave a whole lot. But um, uh, he was he was very negative towards it and felt that mm. it was sub-Christian. He quite liked mm. St. Paul's letters, didn't he, I think? And uh, cut out bits of the Gospels and left the, the, the sort of sayings of Jesus um, that didn't particularly relate to the Old Testament, right? But it was very much a a, 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 a view that um, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament were two different beings, and that actually the God of the Old Testament was not really worth worshiping. Was a I mean, in some ways, a, a sort of similar view in some ways to the whole Richard Dawkins idea that that actually the God of the Old Testament is this horrible tyrant who just smites people and. Um, kills nations and really doesn't deserve any worship at all. And actually, very different from the God of the New Testament. And so um, that's that's so it's it's partly a a view of the Bible. It's also partly a particular view of God and a differentiation of what he saw in the Old Testament and what he saw in the New. And a kind of a, a Gnosticism for better for fair. I don't know if it's fair, but Marcion's been related connected to Gnosticism, which is. A kind of a, a vague set of ideas, but one of the vague set of ideas relates to what you think about matter and, and whether you think that it's the goal of human life to escape physical matter and become pure spirit. And Marcin is connected to this idea because he thought the reason, one of the reasons the Old Testament God was so bad is that he created the world. Mm. And if you were a good pure spirit, why would you create matter? So that was one of the reasons he rejected the Old Testament. So it's a rejection of Genesis, a rejection of yeah. the idea of creation, and the separation of the God of creation from the God of yeah. redemption. There's always salvation. a tension within Gnosticism between creation and redemption. Right. Uh, and redemption is actually usually a, not redemption at all. It's escape no. from yeah. creation. It's not a redemption of the earth. It's an escape no. from the earth. And that's yeah. why in one of the Gnostic Gospels, the Gospel of Judas, for instance, um, Judas wants to betray Jesus so that he can die and escape from this world. And mm. Jesus commends him for that, says, oh, the other disciples didn't understand that. Right. Uh, yeah. Whereas Orthodox Christianity has always believed not in salvation from the world, but in salvation of the world. Mm. However, we're in danger of going on to Gnosticism rather not than... On. So back, back, back to, to, to Marcionism. Yes. Um, and I suspect there's probably quite a bit of kind of popular Marcionism around. In other words, people who actually quite prefer the New Testament to the Old Testament. And, and, and there may be um, many Christians or many churches, perhaps, who, who really only ever read the New Testament, you know, may not have Old Testament readings very often in, in, in church, or people who just read the New Testament and, and really the, the Old Testament is laid to one side as something that's either too difficult or a bit too strange or um, something that you can't really <coughs> understand because the God who appears in its pages 
seems a bit different. And you often hear that charge, don't you? People say, and it was a very ancient charge, and certainly when you, you read Origins um, work against Celsus back in the um, third century, he's, he's facing the same charge. You know, well, you know, you Christians, you believe in this God of the Bible, but clearly the God of the Old Testament is very different from the God of the, mm-hmm. the New Testament. New Testament, I, I, God is a God of love. The Old Testament, is, God is a God of wrath. How do you fit these two together? There's no consistency in this at all. And Origen was trying to answer those those questions. And in one way, Marcionism is a, is a kind of way of answering that question. Uh, by saying, well, that's okay, because we can just jettison the Old Testament and say, well, we only believe in the God of the New Testament. That that seems to solve the problem between this difference of perspective between Old and New Testament, which I guess we all feel a little bit. So I guess the question is, if there is um, that history of Marcionite heresy in the past and some kind of popular Marcionism mm. around today, what, what's the answer to it? Why it was it seen as a heresy? I think... The first thing is, it's all very well to see some sort of distinction between the Old Testament and the New, and, and there must be, because something profoundly different has happened. The incarnation has happened, the cross and the resurrection have happened, mm-hmm. and therefore that is, in a sense, a watershed. But you can't understand the, incarna- the mm-hmm. incarnation, you can't understand the incarnate Jesus, you can't understand the movement that he spawned, except in the light of the event horizon of the Old Testament. I mean, uh, the first Mm. gospel uh, to be written probably was Mark, um, and it's verse 2 that he starts quoting the Old Testament. Um, Matthew, which is the first in our Bibles. uh, Actually, verse 1, in the the beginning of the gospel of Mark. He's probably making a Genesis. Genesis, Yes, Mm. as John 1. One is the first verse of John's uh, gospel. um, And verse 2 of Matthew's gospel goes into a huge genealogy showing Jesus to be the culmination Mm. of and Mm. the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You can't make that claim unless you know what it's a a fulfillment Mm. and culmination of. So you you have to understand the new in the light of the old. And also, I mean, you mentioned the word incarnate or incarnation. I mean, that, that assumes incarnation into something i mean it has a context it has a whole culture and a life and a society and a language and a, and a, even a geography jesus wasn't just this sort of idea floating in the universe he was very particular in a particular culture and nation and race with the this was their text this was their history so the and old it, testament is just part of the incarnation as it were and, and the incarnation of course also is a a complete overturn of Gnosticism, well, saying exactly. this is a God who becomes exactly. flesh, yeah. who becomes matter, yeah. uh, who enters his yeah. own physical universe so, as a physical being. So mm. to deny the Old Testament is to, in some way, to deny the Incarnation as well. I mean, there's clearly a point, isn't there, that it's actually very, I mean, Marcion tries to do it. He tries to take out the bits of the New Testament that refer to the Old, but it's quite a difficult thing to do actually isn't it yes because even st paul you know even you know marcion loved st paul but st paul refers over and over again to the old testament and he's clearly conscious of being in the the line of jewish history israelite history and that jesus the messiah being the culmination of all of that in some ways it's just on a basically you know understanding the text level it's almost impossible to understand the New Testament, without the categories that the Old Testament gives you—categories of prophecy and mm. and uh, categories of creation and and, and um, categories of, of God's God's word being spoken uh, and all of that—which um, 
don't really make sense if you somehow rub out the Old Testament. You, you wouldn't really have any clue where this comes from and what, what its history is and what its background is. And if you, even if you cut out the direct quotations, you can't cut out you know, a word like redemption conjures up the whole story of coming out of Egypt. Uh, yeah. And if you don't know that, you don't actually know what yeah. they are referring to when they use. Same with, same with atonement, for example. You know that idea of atonement, the idea that Jesus died for our sins. It's almost impossible to understand that without the background of the Jewish Old Testament um, sacrificial system in the, in the temple. As, so as of course, Hebrews know, does that. Do we know what, how Marcion what he did with that? I mean, presumably he wasn't a complete idiot. So how did he work out an atonement or a redemption without the Old Testament? If if we do, I don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and I'm also curious whether um, we are talking a lot about the Bible, but I suspect that there was probably a little bit more good old-fashioned racism going on because mm. Mm. there's an anti-Semitic angle to Marcionism, which is against against Jewish people or mm. the Jews. Yeah. And I guess in the second century context, there was quite a bit of antagonism between Jews and yeah. Increasingly became known as Christians. Yeah. That, that what was originally a sort of sect within Judaism, which then grew to become its own separate, apparently separate, mm. separate faith. There was still a, quite a degree of, of 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 hostility between the two communities, and so you can kind of see where that mm. that um, uh, that kind of what we now see as an anti-Semitic um, strand of early Christianity came from, because there was a lot of stuff going on from one side and the other. Uh, because they were almost competing for the same space. Mm. Um, and so, and because Christianity then is not the vast world religion that it is today, uh, it was still in the second century quite a small urbanly, urban-based um, religious sect within mm. the empire, often occupying the same religious space at the edges of paganism that the, Jew, the Jews had, mm. and closely related. And as we know, you know, Brothers and cousins and sisters often fight yeah. more, more, more strenuously than people who are further apart from one another. So the sort of Jewish-Christian relations were not good mm. in the second century. There was a lot of apologetics on both sides. Yeah. There were Jews who wrote against Christians, like Trifo, for example, and there were Christians who wrote against Jews. Mm. And so, um, so you can kind of see yeah. in its context where that that um, that kind of anti-Jewish, okay, we can get rid of the Old Testament because it's all Jewish; it's not part yeah. of us, comes yeah. from. And, and there's just en passant, there's a bit of that in. Uh, 20th century scholarship how people who uh, reject bits of the the documentary hypothesis for those of you who know what the documentary hypothesis is regards all the priestly stuff as kind of much later right but no particular evidence but but there's a Mm. certain suspicious that we don't that can't be the true thing because it's too jewish yes well and it comes out of germany in the 30s right exactly this is kind of what i was interested in is just the idea that a lot of these things they use the language as if they're talking about the Bible, but what they're really talking about is kind of politics and social mm. movements and, and two different groups, tribal groups, jealous of mm. each other, but it comes out in terms of biblical mm. arguments, but that's not probably what was driving it in the first place. Yeah, I think it's also worth, when we're talking about um, Marcionism, uh, talking about the people who attacked it and defended uh, a more orthodox Christian view of the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, of whom Tertullian is one. Mm-hmm. And um, he, in particular, there's a famous passage where he talks about the transfiguration, where Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah. And he speaks to Marcion and says, uh, Notice how Jesus attacks 
the Old Testament by conversing with Moses and Elijah. Uh, in oh. other words, oh. here they are together. You've got to see the interaction, the conversation between the Old Testament and the New. You can't just split one off. Yeah. Uh, that's not what Jesus is doing. Yeah. Um, he yeah. may be doing something new. He may be doing something decisively new, yeah. but it's in interaction and conversation with what mm. has gone on before. And of course, one of the other theologians who I, th- I don't think directly uh, kind of attacks Marcionism, but is working in the same areas, is Irenaeus, of course, in the mm. second century, who, who is more against the sort of Gnostics, of which Marcion mm. may be a, mm. a kind of representative, re- representative. But again, the sort of Gnostic ideas he's responding to are are separating out God of creation and God of redemption. The God of creation is, is, you know, creation's a bad thing. It's it's a bit messy. It doesn't work terribly well. So therefore it must have been created by mm. some sort of lesser God who wasn't the, the true God. Um, and separating out the God of creation from the God of Jesus Christ. And of course, our Irenaeus wants to respond to that and say, and say along the lines we've been saying, you cannot divide the God of creation from the God of redemption, precisely because redemption is a redemption of the world. Mm. Uh, the incarnation is a kind of coming into to, to fle- into created flesh. There is this, you know, this whole idea of the, um, uh, you know, the the kind of recapitulation of, of Christ, where he goes over created matter and redeems yeah. it. Yeah. He doesn't destroy it; he redeems it. So it's a redemption of creation, not a kind of replacement of creation. That's why Irenaeus wants to argue against that Gnostic separation of the God of creation from the God of redemption. And and yeah. I think pastorally that's really significant because a lot of people think when they become Christians that everything they were doing is is now of no worth and they have to do mm. a whole lot of new things, mainly kind of religious stuff, uh, and that's where it's at from now on. Mm. Whereas actually it's about um, the gathering up <laughs> of all that mm. uh, is good uh, and uh, the completing of it. Mm. Now, that would involve some challenge, but it, it mm. recognizes the value of what's there and see, it puts it into proper perspective and proper relationship mm. with God. And it gives you the relief of being able to say that, you know, that there are things outside the church that are good. Yes. Um, it's not that you have to say, Oh, well, only things that Christians do are of value, and everything that everyone who's not a Christian does is of no value. Right, yeah. Now, if you don't have a very strong doctrine of creation, you end up saying that, because only redeemed only, things, only only redempted things, yeah. that's the wrong, wrong word, isn't it? <laughs> redeemed. Only things that have that have been redeemed are, are good things. Anything that is just created is bad. Mm. Yes. But actually, as Christians, we don't say that, and that's what Marcion would have to say. And and, uh, and and the Gnostic tradition would have to say that only kind of it's that sort of very dualistic only Christian things are good. Mm. Well, actually, re- a good good Christian doctrine of creation says actually you can look at things outside the church and say there's, there's something good in that. You can look at your neighbour who's not a Christian and you can acknowledge the good that they do. You don't have to say that they're a terrible person because they're not a Christian. No. They still need Christ. They still need to have a relationship with God. They still need to be drawn into the the love of God and to know that. But they're still a created being and there's some good things within that. And therefore, we should read. Fearlessly and joyfully, novels by non-Christian writers <laughs> and poetry by non-Christian writers, and we don't necessarily need, you know, our um, yeah. shoe shoe repairer to be a Christian. Um, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and the, the earliest Christian vision of Jesus or our was prime he, ministers and presidents. Well, in, <laughs> indeed, like the, the, the earliest Christian vision of him was was he. All things are under the lordship or the kingship of Jesus. Not everyone acknowledges it, but they are all under the kingship of Jesus. So that was the Christian imagination of Jesus was he is the Lord of all, just not everybody acknowledges it yet. And one day everyone will acknowledge. But there's actually a creation. We talked about it a bit with Mark 1 and in John 1. The New Testament links Jesus to 
the creation, the recreation of the world. Mm. So in John 1, he's clearly there. And in, even in Mark, there's a little bit of that. And there's a real sense that Jesus is sort of there at the beginning of the creation of the world and, and he knows how it's supposed to work and all things are under him. And the wonderful poem in Colossians 1, 15 following, uh-huh. uh, it's split into two parts. The first is about creation. He's the image of the invisible God, yeah. the first firstborn over all creation. And then the second half, he's the head of the body, the church. Uh, and he... Um, yeah. So you're binding the two completely, he's the firstborn from the dead. Yeah. Uh, the, the the way that it's structured holds the two together, creation and redemption, yeah. completely together. Mm. Christ is the thing that holds them together, the, the linchpin, the hinge. Which, if you have Gnosticism or Marcionism or whatever, it just guts that completely, making yeah. mon- nonsense of that earliest Christian vision of, of Jesus. What then about the... Um the objection that Marcion has that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament, because I get I think that's that's quite deeply embedded in a lot of people's mm. thoughts. That you know, on the surface, the God of the Old Testament does seem to smite mm-hmm. things quite a lot. He goes around smiting the Amalekites, hip and thigh, and all that kind of thing. Um, uh, whereas the God of the New Testament doesn't seem to smite quite so much. Um, <laughs> And it sort of seems that the God of the New Testament is... He's a bit is, more smitten, in fact. <laughs> well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> but the God of the New Testament seems, you know, cuddly. It's all kind of all about sort of love. The God of the Old Testament's all about wrath and judgment and everything else. And, and, and that's what Marcion and popular Marcionism says. Yeah. How true is that? Well, I think, like with every um, false move... That is not usually done with ill intent. It's usually done, you know, for some reason. Mm-hmm. As we've seen with all the heresies, there's, all a, there's, heresies. There's, a, there's a little bit of truth there's in, a bit in of each of them. Truth in them, and uh, I think while we want to say that um, the Old Testament and the New Testament are both inspired and both uh, vital for our understanding of, of God. Uh, they're not the same. Something has happened. Mm-hmm. Something decisive and different has happened. Mm-hmm. And we need uh, to look at the Old Testament in the light of the new, just as we also look at the new in the light of the old. Uh, and it doesn't leave it completely the same. Mm-hmm. That when yeah. you view it through the lens of Christ, mm-hmm. it looks different. He doesn't just... You know, th- th- there's a reason why Christianity split away from Judaism. It wasn't saying just the same things. Mm-hmm. The New Testament is not just more of the same. Mm-hmm. Something decisive has happened. Uh, and that then casts a new light back on the old. Um, and it doesn't just affirm it, though it does that, but it also reinterprets it. So that some of the predictions in the Old Testament we now read differently. So, for example, the Old Testament says there's, there will never be a time when the, you know, the, 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 the sons of David will be on the, on the, on the throne of Israel. Now, we don't think that um, there will always be a, a sort of son of David on the literal throne of the, the nation of Israel. We see that now as, 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 a, as fulfilled in Christ. Um, you know, we see that all these sort of Old Testament themes are have to be looked at again in the light of the coming of Christ. So, so I think you're right. There's something quite significant, deeply significant has happened, which means we read the Old Testament differently. And that does cause a break. You know, those few pages in the middle of our Bibles where there's a blank bit um, mm-hmm. And it says New Testament on it. They're actually theologically quite significant. Those pages. It's not just a continuity. So you go straight from Malachi into Matthew, as if it's one book. Um, there is a there is a something different that has happened at that point. And, and in the many of the mainline churches, when we finish saying a psalm, we say the Gloria. 
glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, which is a reminder that you can't just yeah. read this except in the light of the new mm-hmm. revelation of God in Christ and the triune, the Trinity that, that he mm-hmm. reveals, mm-hmm. and that that is going to change how you interpret it. Uh, you, you cannot say the words of the psalm just as they are. You have to do it in the light of who, who Jesus so that, that's, is. That's the point that Marcin has got. He has understood there is a difference between them. Yeah. That's the kind of... As we say, there's always a there's always a tiny germ of truth at the heart of every heresy, hmm. um, and that's the germ of truth that's there. What he's grasped is the distinction and the difference between Old Testament and New Testament. But he takes it in a direction that leads him into trouble. And I guess the question is, back to our question, okay? That yes, there's a difference between the two, but are we actually talking about two different gods? I think we're not talking about two different gods. We're talking about the same god. Um, and the whole New Testament would fall apart if that were not mm. the case. Mm. But we are talking about new revelation of that one same God. Uh, and there are things, if, we, if you just had the Old Testament, you would have a different view of God than if you have the whole Bible. Yeah. Well, this is why some theologians like to talk about God with a small g. And then they sort of to say, look, not, not all gods, not, all, not, not everything that people have said was God was worthy of that name and it's not until god says this is what i look like and the incarnation happens that we can start sort of saying god you know and and the 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 used to be you you said i believe in god and they said well which god and the jews would say well the god of abraham isaac and jacob of course and then after the incarnation the christians somebody would say what god and the christians would say ah the god that raised jesus from the dead or the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God Christ. and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, mm. and, and how you identify the name of God or which God you were talking about does actually change it for the Christians. Mm. And they kind of saw a connection to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but that stopped being the name of God for them. And, of course, the interesting thing here is that the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is also the son of Abraham. Yes, Exactly. Uh, 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 yeah. So you, you, they're hold again it's held totally together. a connection, band. but it's not um, it's not a big. Uh, it's not obvious. You have to have Jesus in order to find out what the name of God is yeah. for and, the Christians. And, and the letter to the Hebrews tries to get this balance mm. right when he says, "In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways." That's affirming the Old Testament as genuine revelation about the same God. But in these last days. He's spoken to us by his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a but, yeah. as well as an affirmation, mm-hmm. uh, because something new, dramatic, decisive, and all important has happened. Mm. The thing is, we do, I think, overemphasize, and I think Marcion does, the contrast between this idea of the God of wrath in the Old Testament and the God of love and, and in the New Testament. Mm. Actually, when you look at it, the New Testament, the Old Testament talks a great deal about the love of God. Mm-hmm. It always is talking about the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies yeah. never come to an end. You know, and in fact one of the one of the great definitions of God in the Old Testament is this this one about, you know, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and so on. So there's actually a huge amount about love and forgiveness and grace mm. in the Old Testament. Um, actually there's salvation in it in the sense of the exodus, which is in some ways the, 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 the core event that out of which so much else springs, which is an act of salvation. It's an act of redemption that prefigures the, 
the redemption in Christ. So there's a lot of, mm. uh, you can't read the Psalms, you can't read the prophets, you can't read any of the, the Old Testament without getting this very strong sense of the of the love of God and, and, and the wrath and the anger of God as an expression of his love against injustice yeah. and evil and, and sin. You know, a God yeah. of love who didn't get angry about injustice would not be a God of love. Um, it would not be a God that's worth worshipping, and that's where the wrath comes from. Similarly, in the old, in the New Testament, there's actually quite a lot about wrath and anger too. You know, Jesus speaks more about hell and judgment mm. than mm. any other figure in the New Testament does, and uh, so um, it's a, it's a kind of mistaken contrast. It seems to me to say that the New Testament only talks about love, and the Old Testament only talks about wrath. There's a lot of both mm-hmm. in either because mm-hmm. wrath is the is an expression of love when it faces injustice and pain and evil. I, I agree entirely with that. But there's but. a change of hero. <laughs> but there's a change of hero. Yeah. Yep. The heroic types in the Old Testament, yeah. the Joshua's, yeah. uh, the Phineas's, the. Mm. the mm-hmm. uh, yep. you, you could come away from the Old Testament and have as your hero um, a, a military leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, mm-hmm. Somebody who uses violence. Yeah. Uh, and the hero of the New Testament is somebody yeah. who, as I say, is smitten rather than smiting. Uh, and that, I think, yeah. is hugely significant in our generation when people fear that if you believe anything at all, you'll impose it on others by force. Mm. And that's why they don't like ideology. Ideology, all mm. ideology reeks of the death camps, says one mm. postmodern writer. Right. Uh, but not an ideology that's based on one who is smitten rather than smiting. Yeah. Well, you see it in like um, the Gospel of Mark, for instance, where, um, and and well, in any of the Gospels, but especially the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus spends a lot of time dismantling the kind of King David hero worship. Like he actually puts David in his place. So David, you know, you say to any first century uh, Jew say the word King David and, and you would have been, it'd be like talking about King Arthur or something, you know, a kind of a, a brave hero, heart, nationalistic, yep. you know, military leader. And, and, and Jesus is very, he's like, yeah, I am connected to David, but I'm his Lord. <laughs> and he's under, you know, he's, hmm. it, the, he puts David in his place and, and, and he's constantly fighting that myth of a nationalistic military hero. And he presents a different kind of, of figure. You're absolutely right. Hmm. Yeah. In some ways, this, this, this debate that I think we're, coming on to a bit here about continuity and discontinuity, mm-hmm. is one that's always gone on in Christian history and Christian theology, and, and people have gone to different sides of it. Marxianism is one extreme in, in that, which is effectively saying that there is a complete con- contrast, mm. this discontinuity, and yep. that is something the church decided that's mm. not the case. We're going to still carry on reading the mm. Old Testament in it's church. It's much more complex than that. Exactly, that's right, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but at the same time... Um, you know, the other extreme is 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 to say actually there's no difference at all. It's just a it's just a a complete continuity with no break. Mm. But in between, there's there seems to me there's there's room for for debate within it. I mean, you get a fascinating contrast between someone like Calvin, for example, who who sees very strong continuities between Old and New Testament, and he sees the he doesn't think of two covenants. He thinks it's one covenant in two dispensations. And so there is a there is a change. There's a definite change that takes place with the coming of Christ. But it's just, it's effectively still one covenant in that it, there's a continuity between the two. So he emphasizes the continuity between the two covenants, the Old and New Testament. 
someone like Luther, for example, probably would emphasize more the contrasts because he has this big thing of law, law and, and gospel. gospel. Now, they're not identical. You know, the Old Testament is law and New Testament is gospel. There's law and gospel in both mm. uh, for Luther. But by and large, um, there is a contrast between the law and the gospel. There's more law in the Old Testament, more gospel in the New. So he emphasizes more the discontinuities. And you can sort of see that debate going on. And I think that's a valid debate within Christian faith as to whether you emphasize the continuities or the, or the discontinuities. As long as you don't go in the direction of Marcion, which is a simplistic answer and saying well, we can just these are two different gods which doesn't work uh, or the direction of, uh, of saying that there is no gap whatsoever which kind of you know it erases christ from the picture mm-hmm. and makes christ into just one other prophet like all the others uh, and it's just a continuous story and there isn't any sort of radical disjunction at that point i think it's is it fair to say that most heresies are quite simple they're trying to simplify. They're trying to be, and yeah. from my perspective, simplistic. They can't cope mm. with complexity. They can't mm-hmm. cope with nuance. They mm. can't cope with continuity and discontinuity. Mm. They can't cope with divine and human. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Orthodoxy is much more awkward. It's much heresy. more awkward. But then life's <laughs> exactly pretty awkward exactly. and difficult mm. and complex mm. as well. Exactly. And it invites you to think, doesn't it? it invites you to kind of explore more rather than being satisfied with nice and simple answers that seem to be quite neat and they have sorted that out and let's go on to the next thing. It doesn't shut things down, orthodoxy, yeah, in the way that heresy does. Yep. So orthodoxy is a pretty good thing. Well, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> It'll do. Very good. So uh, there we have it, Marcionism, Old Testament, New Testament, fascinating discussion. Um, so much so that my tea's gone cold. Which is a bit disappointing. I started with a nice cup of tea when we started this, but now it's gone I'm so cold because I haven't drunk it for the last. I'm half sure. Hour. I'm sure they don't have this problem on Test Match Special. <laughs> so they've got lackeys bringing them bringing cups the of tea that are hot and bits of cake all and the time. cake that nice readers have sent in. Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, only the will, listeners could see your eyes goggling at the empty <laughs> table. I will uh, leave that to your imagination. Anyway, that was um, another edition of Godpod. So. Um, Uh, Thank you very much to Michael and to Stephen. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, if you um, uh, stay tuned, or at least if you uh, register to uh, uh, receive these um, podcasts on your phone or your iPad or your computer, you'll get another one before too long, and uh, we'll look forward to being with you another time. Thank you very much. That was Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. 